Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, welcome back. On Friday, uh, as we were wrapping up the program, I, during a commercial break, uh, clicked on a little link that someone had sent me, and it was the story of this uh, cargo ship wedged sideways in the Suez Canal. Now, I, I knew that something was afoot, in the Suez Canal, I, I had been following that since, uh, what was it, the, on the 22nd, so about a week ago or so, <laughs> a week ago or so, something had gone, quite literally, sideways, and I I somehow just didn't pay it any mind. I didn't think about it, I didn't uh, investigate, and then on Friday, I was served a concentrated dose of this uh, colossal screw-up, or accident that came as a result of wind. I don't know. Yeah, that's the claim. So the the this giant cargo ship, that's the length of like four football fields, weighs over 220,000 tons. I you know, I I don't even know how to like conceptualize that. That's like the 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 what the Eiffel the Eiffel Tower laying down on its side or the Empire State but I don't know. It's big. It's really big. Big enough to, uh, when turned sideways and wedged in place, block the entire Suez Canal and uh, kick off a week-long effort to try and to try and free this ship. And in the interim, w- w- what's happened? Well, <laughs> nearly 400 uh, vessels had planned on passing through the, the Suez Canal. And obviously, with that big boat there uh, blocking the way, called Evergiven. First off, who? What the heck kind of boat name is Evergiven? Um, I that movie Forrest Gump. Uh, Forrest names his boats uh, the shrimp and boats. Uh, he names them Jenny. I thought that was a fine name. Uh, what the heck is an Evergiven? Yeah, two words. Evergiven. Don't get it. Whatever. Uh, well, the thing gets stuck. Four hundred some odd boats get backed up. A handful, more than a handful, as a matter of fact. When they saw the situation shaping up before them, they decided instead of trying to wait for this ship to be freed and cleared, they would instead of taking advantage of the shortcut provided by the Suez Canal, which is like 150 years old or something, instead of taking advantage of the shortcut provided by the Suez Canal, they would instead sail all all the way around the continent of Africa, adding two weeks to travel. And you know what? Uh, some of those ships that decided to do so at the in the earliest days, you know, maybe they're right. 
Maybe it'll prove to have been uh, a wise decision. A little bit of perspective here. Uh, In 2020, last year, the Suez Canal was traversed by 18,500 vessels. That's an average of uh, about 52 each day. Uh, I mentioned that it's about 150 years old. Uh, It officially opened on November 17th, uh, 1869. So how, how long goes that? It's like 400, That's It's a long time. Long time ago it opened up. You can do the math. 1869. Uh, and interestingly, ancient canals, th- there's evidence of ancient canals uh, right there uh, dating back to 1897 B.C. 1897 B.C. Anyway, those are the fun facts about that region and about uh, this shortcut that has been, uh, you know, officially in the form of the Suez Canal, being uh, used since 1869 and evidence dating back much uh, further, almost 4,000 years uh, earlier in time, indicating that maybe we've been using that shortcut uh, a while longer. Here are some more numbers. Of those 400-some-odd ships that were backed up, uh, 20 of them, at least 20 of them, were hauling livestock. Yeah, there were 20 uh, ships full of livestock. So you think about, uh, that, you know, if, if you're hauling automobiles, you don't need to feed them. You don't need to clean up uh, their waste. You don't need to make sure that they've got uh, at least a little bit of daylight and some fresh air to breathe. No, you can uh, you shut up those, con- those cargo containers, you stack them up high, uh, strap them down in place, and that's it. Story's a little bit different when it comes to livestock. 20 of them uh, had to you know, make alternative plans when the calendar changed so dramatically. There were, uh, there were some comments made by uh, a coordinator, a European coordinator for Animals International. Uh, Garrett Weidinger is the, the individual's name. The European Union coordinator for Animals International said that... Um, that you know, based on some of the marine tracking websites, that uh, there was a, a ship there that uh, found itself uh, nearly at the point of crisis. You know, the, most of these folks, while you know they are hauling livestock, uh, you know, to, to you and me who know nothing about uh, overseas shipping, you'd think, oh my gosh, that's really dangerous. Well, uh, they build in they built in margins, right? So if the weather changes or if whatever happens, you know, they can absorb uh, changes and. Uh, you know, some more dramatic impact on the schedule. Uh, there, there was one, though, got a little close uh, to finding themselves in the midst of uh, real trouble. Uh, Whitinger said, my greatest fear is that the animals run out of food and water and they get stuck out on the ships because they can't be unloaded somewhere else for paperwork reasons. So if you get thrown off course by too much, then you're kind of stuck in port and you got to be self-sufficient. I don't care if you have livestock on there or not. And uh, anyway... Uh, right now, it's looking like uh, things are all going to get sorted out for the livestock. That's all very good. Uh, now, taking a step back even further, uh, you you and I may not be clear yet of the impacts felt by uh, by this event. Ten percent, ten percent. Texter writes in and says, "Hey Lee, how do you think Noah felt?" That's yeah, I get it. Two by two. Uh, that's funny. Ten um, percent of global commerce came to a halt. 10% of the goods uh, that change hands on this planet pass uh, through the, the Suez Canal. And 
It wasn't until uh, a big full moon rose the tide uh, last night and into the early morning of today and a flotilla of 10 tugboats affixed their cables and chains uh, to this this big cargo ship, the Ever Given, again, weird name, and were ultimately able to wrestle it free and send it on its way. Uh, And I'm anxious to find out what exactly happened. The claim is either human error or wind or some combination thereof. What I would say to that is, was it just last week that wind first blew on the Suez Canal? Was it the first time that that uh, that mariners were required to uh, navigate in and through the wind? I I think. Now, I don't know. Again, I've told you repeatedly on this topic, I am not an expert. The extent of my ocean-going knowledge probably comes from the trailer of Pirates of the Caribbean. Just the trailer. I've never seen the movie. Uh, They've got big sails on their boats, right? So to me, again, the layman, wind might be a big big part of the ocean-going experience. We may have, over the years and centuries, developed... Uh, you know, something of a skill set when it comes to, quite literally, navigating the winds that blow on the open seas, including the Suez Canal. Anyway, uh, it's a neat little story. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that no lives were lost, certainly. That's why I'm able to speak uh, like this in jest. And, you know, there are insurance companies that handle delays and all that. And so, ultimately, I think everyone will be made right uh, and made whole. And when all is said and done, maybe some uh, new procedures and protocols will be put in place to make sure that uh, no more of these 220,000 ton ships don't get sideways stuck and uh, push the pause button on the global economy for about a week. Anyway, uh, that's that. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back after the newscast, I'll be joined by former Governor Gary Herbert. Former Governor Gary Herbert will be my guest Uh, I have a few questions for him about maybe his future, what what he's uh, setting his sights on, and also his current work now with the Herbert Institute. What's he up to? We'll find out next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.